Welcome to Newsworthy with Norisworthy. Get ready for some awesome. All right, friends, welcome back to the show. Today we have joining us from Princeton, New Jersey, Mako Fujimura. How are you, sir? I'm good. Thanks for having me. Okay, one to ten. How how good was the pronunciation of the name? Pronunciation was... As good as you're going to get. The worst part is that's me practicing to get there. Yeah, so yeah, uh, yeah, I appreciate that. <laughs> I appreciate your grace to, uh, to pardon my name. Uh, pronunciation. The, uh, I'm very excited to talk to you. I remember hearing your name for the first time, uh, probably pronounced much better than I just did, by Ian Morgan Cron, yes. probably back in 2013, 2014. Okay. And I've always had you on my short list of people that I would love to have an excuse to meet you. And you have a new book that just came out, and yeah. it is a great excuse to have you on the podcast. Absolutely. So uh, it is truly my honor. Thank you very much. Thank you. Uh, you tell a story in this new book about uh, talking to your son about the significance of uni- unicorn tapestries. <laughs> and your fear is that he's more interested in learning how to throw a baseball right. than listening to you. Now, the story ends up where he actually is paying attention. The girl who becomes his wife. Yeah. Uh, part of their <laughs> first date is around those same tapestries. But your fear that he's more interested in baseball than learning uh, art, which obviously as an artist, y- you want that. I'm going to be real honest. I've spent far more of my time focusing on athletics than art. Yeah. So, uh Forgive me for being a bit of a novice when it comes to your world, but I, I appreciate you taking the time to talk to me anyway. Absolutely. Ba- baseball is an art form. And uh, spring, it is? Spring, spring training is here. So. <laughs> yeah, look at you. Do you actually, are you actually a baseball fan? I, I am. I, uh, soccer and baseball are two sports mm-hmm. that I, I played in. Soccer more seriously. but yeah, Really? Yeah. So you were born in Boston but moved to Japan when you were young. Right. Until you were 13, and then you came back to the States? That's correct, yeah. What part of Japan did you move to when you were... Uh, so I, I was in Kamakura, uh, an hour south of Tokyo. Yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. I, I asked that like I know anything about Japan, <laughs> and I really don't. So Kamakura is a beautiful um, uh, old city. Uh, it's, uh, I tell people, if you have one hour, uh, and if you're in Tokyo, go to Kamakura, because it's like a mini Kyoto. Really? Mm-hmm. Okay, so you come back, you do schooling, uh, university at Bucknell, yeah. and then you go back to Japan mm-hmm. and do some more, uh, an MA over there, is that right? Well, I yeah, I was a national scholar studying traditional um, art form called Nihonga uh, in, at Tokyo University of Fine Arts, and uh, um, it, the, the program ended up uh, PhD level, um, but you know, six and a half years uh, spent as a okay. national scholar. Outstanding. And uh, so part of the fascination, uh, especially of, of this book that you've written, mm-hmm. is uh, you're a big uh, fan, follower, friend of N.T. Wright. Mm-hmm. And N.T. Wright is one of my favorite people in the world. Oh. Uh, I've been honored to have him mm-hmm. on the podcast multiple times. Yeah. Uh, a couple times ago, he even referred to me as his friend, which I tell yeah. everyone that Tom Wright <laughs> calls me his friend. Yes. So that's kind of like the, the pinnacle of my uh, my success in life. Absolutely. And, fine as well. Yeah. And uh, he, he writes a beautiful foreword yes. for the book. Yeah. And I, I loved seeing his work influencing what you're doing because uh, – 
with your experience as an artist uh, and your worldview and your perspective, the way that you filter his work into what you're doing is vastly different than the way I filtered it through in, into my work. But mm-hmm. I still see kind of mm-hmm. the same undergirding of you know Tom Wright's work into. Yeah. How, how did you first get introduced to his work? Yeah, I was introduced to him actually through Ian. Um, I, I, I think that's the first time I met him in Greenwich, Connecticut. Ian invited me to his lecture, and um, um, I had just come out with my Four Holy Gospels Illumination, so I presented that to him. And and then we were together in a conference, uh, a kind of leadership uh, gathering, and... Um, I, I got to meet his wife and, um, you know, he was, I was, I was seated next to him. And I, I remember just, just the astonishment of seeing him when, when we opened the Bible, it was the Greek Bible, you know, <laughs> it was on the spot transliterating, uh, Jeremiah 29 passage, um, as he was speaking about it, but it was he was looking at the Septuagint Bible. <laughs> That's pretty impressive. Yeah, <laughs> that uh, th- there are a lot of stories about Tom Wright. Yeah, uh, one of the ones I like is that he was at a conference. He presents, and then someone presents a paper uh, kind of responding to his work. And so yeah. he goes back through and writes this beautiful 20, 30 page yeah. uh, essay in response to that essay that night and turns it in the next morning. Yeah. And everyone's going, yeah, his email do this like, kind of stuff? Yeah. Master's thesis, <laughs> you know, yes. and, and, yeah. and the forward, right? I mean, I, I, I thought he would, uh, it would be great to have a few paragraphs and he, he wrote a whole thesis. <laughs> really the forward is uh, worth the price of the book. <laughs> Uh, it is. It is the, the rest of the book is very good too, but the, the forward <laughs> is you. is quite good, as you say. So uh, I, I, I'm glad uh, to know that uh, Tom Wright has uh, impacted so many of us. And uh, one of the things you mentioned in the book is that you kind of had a rough go with Christianity at the very beginning. It, mm. it wasn't something that you were introduced to early on. And when you were, mm. there was language that people were using of like art is something you have to give up or <laughs> is the art community like a target group that you need to like convert, <laughs> that kind of stuff. When you're an artist and that's the first um, yeah. impression you have of Jesus followers, what does that do to you? Yeah, so that was really interesting right on, on one hand you you're reading the bible itself and and you feel like an artist uh the, the bible is about creativity of of this god yeah. um that works through broken world and broken people um but but then you go to church and um you know art is very suspect imagination is suspect um mm-hmm. and you know, it's it's um, there, there's not too many places where you can have a deep conversation about art and faith, and you know, this title of my book is is an indication that um, I've journeyed with this, you know, all my life, really, even though I didn't uh, know this voice that was calling me. Uh, to be an artist, um, or I, I've heard that voice, but I don't know mm-hmm. to whom that belonged to. And and then um, once I understood there was a voice of Christ, you know, it was very clear to me how, as an artist, uh, what I'm experiencing in a studio, this sacred experience is directly tied to 
the narratives of creation stories to uh, the prophets' voices to particular Jesus's um, voice. So, so it, it is a gap, right? To to experience the church as sometimes anti-culture, um, fighting culture wars, um, and 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 trying to navigate that was was a little confusing. <laughs> yeah, I, I want to get back to the. Uh, the concern of imagination from Christianity in, in a second. But uh, as you described just, just now, like the Christianity that you were hearing about somehow is connected to the God who's, or that force behind your creative process. Right. Uh, in the book, you write this way. Let me, let me read this for my listeners. The journey started like a trickle of water falling from a faucet, drip by drip through literature and art, through important relationships, and by creating and making. I felt I was honoring the source of beauty and poetry in the world. It took me a while to connect what I was experiencing to the message of Christianity. Mm. So you say it took you a while to connect it, but you knew all along that you were experiencing something, what I is fair to say, like divine in your art, but you didn't didn't know how to make the step to get there, right? Right. Uh, Even as a child... Painting, I felt this charge go through me, and I knew it wasn't mine. I knew it was a gift. I knew that I didn't own it, um, and I thought everybody had this experience, you know, until you went to middle school in New Jersey. But um, you know that kind of ex- experience. It was very much ingrained and somatic and deep, and I, I, I knew, I, I felt call to this um, very early on and uh, the, you know I, I I have tried to do other things and realize that that, that it, it was not um, something that I would um, that would connect me to to that mm-hmm. uh, sense of calling so so it, it was it was very visceral yeah there's a there's an author named uh, Stephen Pressfield who wrote a great book called the The War of Art. Are you familiar with it? You're shaking your head. No, no I don't think so. Okay. Well, anyway, but he talks about like the, the power of the muse, and he comes at it okay. from a perspective not of someone who's connected to the story of Christianity. Mm-hmm. Um, but he just talks about the muse in this almost um, like a sacred divine understanding that that something happens in the writing process. Now his art is mm-hmm. is literature. It's, it's uh, pen and paper. Um, but but as I'm hearing him describe this, it's it's it connects to me because I understand like that that somehow mm-hmm. when when you're in the creative process of even writing that you know that it's not just you in the seat, it's not right. just you who are putting the words together. And so from early age, you had that connection, and yeah. eventually you go, wait a minute, this is uh, the God who's created all things yeah. that has been revealed to us in the person of Jesus that is moving yeah. my pen and my paper, right? Yeah, and Jesus' voice is. Um it's very unique, um, and and when I read the Bible, um, especially the Gospels, I I recognized that voice. Mm-hmm. How, how old were you when you first read the Gospels? Um, I would say, uh, starting in college, I began to read the, the Bible because in order to understand Western literature, you have to have some understanding of it. And, you know, it was King James Bible, so Shakespearean English. But but, but nevertheless, the, some of the distinct voice um, passages of Christ is, is, um, was very much um, some, something that stood out to me. And, and then later on, at, uh, when I was in my late 20s, I, be, I, I understood the message, as it were, um, it was through again through literature uh, initially uh, reading 
Milton, William Blake, um, and and other voices in Western literature. But um, it, it it was very evident to me that this this voice literally has reshaped uh, the Western imagination. You know, this sacrificial love. And so you're recognizing this, and the people who, uh, I assume this is at Bucknell, the, the people who are saying, if you're going to become a follower of Jesus, then you need to get rid of your art. Oh, that was after. That was after Bucknell. Okay. At Bucknell, I, I, I had no inkling what Christianity was. <laughs> so, okay. Yeah. So, so you're just reading this as someone who's understanding Western culture. Yeah, and, yeah basically, okay. as you would do any kind of reading. Um, but yeah. then, you know, I realized the Bible has specific... Uh, power base and I, I I had this tremendous respect for the Bible and I didn't know where that came from uh, until my mother told me basically that I, I'm, I'm a descendant of many generations of Christians um, hmm. and and uh, one one was a Presbyterian evangelist in, in southern Japan you know and I was like how many Presbyterian evangelists were there in Japan <laughs> two you know yeah. And so I, I think I, I, I have been prayed for, um, it, it, wow. it is, is what, I, what, what I realize now. Hmm. Wow. And so w- when would you say that uh, you started being a follower of Jesus? At what age? Um, 27, around, around there. Yeah, very, I, I remember the moment when I, uh, I was reading William Blake's uh, epic Jeruz- uh, poem, Jerusalem, which is, some 400 pages long. And at the end of this, uh, his, uh, really the culmination, his life work, um, he has Jesus at the cross uh, speaking directly to Albion, one of his emanations, um, about nature of life and nature of death, nature of lo- love. Um, and uh, it's a perfect summarization of Gospel of John um, wow. you're going to get in Western literature. Um and I was just struck by this reality of Jesus that Blake presents, and um, and I think it was then I I felt this voice that I have been feeling, sensing all along in my art was in front of me basically, and I I had that kind of visceral, almost like meeting Jesus moment. Wow! Yeah. Wow. So you have this moment, and at some point down the road, you realize that imagination is seen as suspect <laughs> by Christians. And so in some ways, as you say in the book, that they perceive that it's going to be something that leads you away from truth. Yeah. And so our, our mutual friend Ian Cron is the first one who introduced me to the phrase, uh, the Catholic imagination. Yes. And as a good Protestant, like the only thing I imagined was opening the Bible and doing exactly what Paul told me to do. Mm-hmm. The idea of like this imagination was yeah. very like yeah. disconcerting to me. <laughs> um, wh- where do, where do you think that fear of uh, you know being led away from truth by imagination comes from? Yeah, that's a great question. Actually, um, it's uh, it's certainly part of the industrial uh, post-industrial world, uh, you know, where everything has to be utility and purposeful and you know utilitarian pragmatism is what I, the term i use but um there's nothing wrong with purposefulness or pragmatism it's, it's just that when that becomes the sole way to measure one's uh, worth um that that's when i think we 
you know, fall into this false dichotomy um, that we um, dehumanize ourselves by doing that. And uh, so part, part of it is uh, the assumptions, the presumptions that we have about na- nature of our worth. Um, and so I, I start the book, uh, Our Plus Faith, with uh, consideration of God's you know, self-sufficiency or all-sufficiency, what theologians call God's aseity, um, that God stands outside of time and space and really doesn't need anything, you know, doesn't need us, mm-hmm. doesn't need the universe. Um, so when we fall into this notion that we are needed to accomplish God's will, um, you know, to restore us to identical state, to fix the world, um, that's when all sorts of issues arise. And uh, part of the issue of imagination is is that we don't realize how much our faith depends on a certain kind of imagination. Uh, you, you cannot have faith, really, without activating your imagination you know and yep. and so we don't we don't talk about it we don't um you know that that is not part of a you know discipleship uh strategy <laughs> to to train your imagination um or or to sanctify your imagination um because mm-hmm. that's literally you know when when the bible uh speaks about the heart um you know eyes of the heart um, the closest word in English language uh, to that word uh, is is imagination, um, wow. but we don't, um, you know, in, in church that that is not something we talk about. Yeah, but there's there's a gift that the artist can give mm-hmm. to the rest of us Absolutely. is an ability to, to tap into that. And one yeah. of the stories you tell in the book is of uh, your mother who was. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, at the last stages of her life, dementia had yeah. uh, uh, taken a toll on her. And uh, you're making this piece, it's in California, yeah. Yeah. and uh, you get the call that your mother had passed away. Yeah. And and in that moment, you realize that somehow the art that you were working yeah. on that, at that time was yeah. was preparing you. Can, can you tell us a little yeah. more about that yeah. story? So, yeah, it's called Sea Beyond, and uh, it's a huge monumental triptych, about 33 feet long. And, you know, I, I was going through a time when I, I really had to work out of my intuitive uh, understanding. Um, and, you know, I, and my mother's death was part of the uh, the dark journey that I was, I was in. Um, but then I, I realized that intuitively my intuition had gone ahead of me uh, in, in creating this energy for her. And um, I have been working on that piece for about six months prior, um, not knowing that I would be standing on the uh, basically rooftop. A friend of mine owns this townhouse and in Newport Beach, and I was I was staying in that place, uh, invited by her for a dinner party prior day, and and I, I'm only there, you know, once every year at best. Um, and I'm standing on, on on the rooftop, and you know, and, and my brother calls and says, you know, um, mom just passed away. And I I look over to the horizon of the beach, 
um, and this this scene is what I was painting. Basically, this it's called Sea Beyond, but it's it's this ocean uh, horizon uh, painted with Japanese oyster shell um, on canvas, and and so I, I look over and it just occurs to me what 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 is Sea Beyond, you know, and mm-hmm. um, so I <laughs> put my Google Map on and. You know, I pulled out to the world map basically, and and like I'm like you know the compass is pointing to exactly where I'm standing, what I'm looking at the horizon, and it points directly to Kamakura, Japan, where I grew up. And I remember uh, my mother taking me there every summer mm. evening, uh, and you know, and, and my memory of her is connected to that beach, um, and and so th- this this was like. Uh, really, um, I mean, I, it, I, I don't get shocked by these things anymore. But, but it, it was it was quite uh, amazing to th- think about um, how, how this painting, the intuitive process, has already. I knew ahead of time what you know I was uh, to go through. Yeah, and, and that's the kind of thing that you can't. You can't map that out. You can't explain <laughs> no. it. You can't rationalize it. It's no. just something that is a transcendent moment yeah. that somehow is it fair to say that, that God met you in the creative process. Yes. God, the creator of all things, yeah. met you in the creation yeah. of this. Yeah. Uh, I had to look up what that word is called, the three-piece, uh, the trif. You, yeah. I, I had to Google it. Yeah. To Google that <laughs> okay. one. But nevertheless, uh, that God showed up in that creative process yeah. as you were showing the world what you had imagine but god is somehow connected yeah. to all that so it's not like it's disconnected from from god and from you but somehow god is in the midst of it preparing you yeah uh, yeah i mean that's a that's a beautiful story it's a mystery and and um i i really think all of us are tapped into that mystery somehow uh if it's mm-hmm. not through the arts it could be through sports you know it could be through yeah. your business it could be through your relationships um, and community, but um, I, I think all of us have the capacity to see beyond. You know, and mm-hmm. and and, and uh, it's it's also you know it's something that is tied to uh, senses and uh, imaginations directly. So it's not this fantasy yeah, that we create uh, false reality, but it's really tied directly to uh, the reality that we take in. And mm-hmm. artists are trained uh, to trust their intuition. Um, so you you really have to um, trust that the materials you're using, if you're a dancer, you have to trust your body to tell you how to take that leap. You know, uh, if you're a musician, you have to trust your instrument. Um, it, it, these, these are things, intuitive knowledge that we gain over time. We can't even explain it. Uh, you know, it, it, we can go through the me- mechanicals, but uh, it doesn't really mean much because, you know, it's like Jack Papan talking about a recipe, you know. <laughs> yeah. Sure, but, you know, the way he cooks, mm-hmm. you know, even an omelet is, is very yeah. much very different from how we do it. So what's the difference, yeah. you know, the gap between recipe and, and an actual omelet, you know, and that, yeah, that's you, the gap that na- artists navigate. Yeah. You can, you can watch a YouTube video of a chef <laughs> making something and go step by step, but it's still, there's yeah. something different. Uh, but you just said a second ago, like all of us are invited to create 
And I, I, one of the questions I was reading in the book, as I'm reading the book, is, okay, what about someone who they don't write, they don't paint, yeah. they don't sing, they don't dance? Like, what does it look like? And so you have a line in the book where you say, whether we are plumbers, garbage collectors, taxi drivers, or CEOs, we are we are called by the great artists to co-create. The artist calls us a little artist to co-create, to share in the heavenly breaking in to the broken earth. So yeah. would you do me a favor? Flesh that out. My wife, uh, she's a neonatal ICU nurse, and yeah. uh, she does that sometimes, and then she's full-time mom as well. Yeah. What does it look like for her? Because I don't think we want to like, you know, painting on these babies that are in the critical <laughs> care, you know, but what, what does it look like for her to, to create in that setting? Well, no, uh, nursing and motherhood are two of the greatest art forms that we have. Hmm. Um, it, is, it is all about care uh, and compassion and, and hopefully love um, for those who strangers that you're taking care of and, and that that is an amazing thing. And we, we come to realize how valuable, right, during this pandemic. Um, they're the essential workers. They're the frontline people. They're they're creating a world um, through which we uh, actually get through this time. Um, and and so for me as an artist, I, I look at somebody like that and say, there, there is something to be emulated or to for me to understand you know it's, it's the opposite art has a particular reality um, to tap into that and to uh, manifest that reality into the world in tangible ways right so that's my job but what she's doing is the source of that. It's also the inspiration. Mm. So, you know, Vince, Vincent van Gogh said the greatest, uh, uh, greatest um, art is is to love people, right? So, oh, wow. so that that is the connection that uh, the Bible makes. Certainly, um, that you know, uh, greater love has no one than this, right? That one lay down his life for his friends and. And that statement actually it jumped out at me in you know in King James Bible when I read it in college I, I was like this is this is a reversal of the Darwinian universe right I mean it is about yeah, yeah, yeah. dying sacrificing yourself for the sake of others and throughout history I mean there are only a few figures who were able to do this <laughs> and mm-hmm. if Jesus said this right uh, this is this is one of the greatest uh not only, you know i don't know anything about theology then but this is one of the greatest statements ever made uh for us as a human yeah. beings and, and and most beautiful uh most sublime uh most uh important um and all art should aspire to this yeah one of the things you say in the book is uh our view of the creative process and the role of art hinges on how we answer this question the question was why did God create? And your response to that question is, God created out of love. Yeah. And so a- any act of love, yes. is, is it fair to say, like any act of love is participating yeah. in this divine creative force that we have flowing through us and to us, right? Yeah, absolutely. No, it, 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 it's all about love and, and a particular kind of love that, you know, God is manifesting is encompasses all of the loves, right? There, there's like five Greek words for love, mm-hmm. um, you know, and philia, agape, and stoje, and all that. But, but it's all of those, right? God actually defines the universe this way, and, mm-hmm. and so it's it's almost like a guarantee that anybody, whether you're religious or not, 
uh, it doesn't seem to matter that the Holy Spirit will uh, draw you into this conversation because we are longing for that love. First of all, um, we 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 um, we tend to you know maybe maybe understand it intellectually, but not manifest it in our lives. Um, we have a gap between all experiences of life, relationships, community, art, uh, you know, anything to this reality of um, unity and integrity that love, this love provides. Um, and that is our journey. Um, we are, we are searching for that. And, and when we are in despair, it's because we lose hope. That, that love is accessible to us so that we can have, tap into that. And um, so, so I, I think that's the critical uh, reality. Yeah. The critical reality is that, that love, which is yeah. driving everything. Yeah. Uh, one of the things you also say in the book is that the true test of the power of the gospel to affect our lives is the bottom line of what we have created into the world through Love, right? So, the, no. like, the big question is that. And so, you're going to say, like, the, the first question we should be asking one another as we walk into the church building <laughs> is, What did you make this week? Yes. Tell me about that question. Like, what, why is that the question we should be asking? What did you make this week? Yeah. So, if God of the Bible is the creator and maker, and we are little makers made in the image of God, mm-hmm. um, if, if, if all you knew was that, um, what would be the community that gathers around that thought, you know, mm-hmm. it, it is about making. Uh, so it's not about your intellectual sense to check, checklist of things that we, 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 you know, we check to become a Christian or whatever. Yeah. It, it's, it's uh, those, those things may be important, but it only comes after we created something and, and that, that create, and God demands that that creativity, the fruit of that creativity be, something that um, uh, provides thriving for others, right? Not just for yourself. Yeah. So that's the test, you know, and, and, and I make the case that we have been arguing over the recipe, you know, of the omelet, you know, who's right and who's wrong, when we should be tasting the omelet first and saying, if the omelet tastes good, then let's go back to the recipe and figure out yeah. what the recipe should be. But, not not before we taste, right? Yeah. And and so so a somatic knowledge of tangible reality all around us needs to be the first way to enter into any kind of knowledge. It's not you know taking notes and and saying intellectual uh, analytical rational way as important as that is. It it begins with this actual tasting, um, mm-hmm. and and when you. You know, when you work backwards, um, so the question should be, what did you make today? And yeah. h- how did you do, right? And you say, oh, it was terrible. I tried to make this. And I failed over and over. And you said, yes, that's great. That's because you're realizing the gap between the concept and, and you know, reality. And, and that's yeah. where God can speak into, right? Because God yeah. is the source of perfection obviously but god is demanding our perfection through christ christ's sacrifice mm-hmm. so in that gap <laughs> we can say mm-hmm. for sure that christ is there not only present in that gap but but is there the spirit is there to guide us and we can tangibly 
in our failures, experience God's grace through and through. But, but since we're not making, we become consumers, right? We, yeah. we, we only go uh, and test out, like, uh, you know, is this church meeting a need? And and it, it, it hasn't. It's not really about your need. Uh, to, first of first of all, but you know, mm-hmm. ha, what have you done, right, to create uh, to advance the kingdom? And and if we haven't done that, then it's it's almost useless talking about you know what church is suited for you. Yeah, yeah. Because sometimes we think it's just about two things. One, like you said, like trying to figure it out. And so faith is about me making a mental ascent yeah. to things that don't like line up logically, but I'm going to have faith and believe these things. And once I believe that, right. that means I'm a Christian. And the second piece is like, I, I receive this. And part of what you describe in the book as uh, the plumbing gospel, yes. which is again, I, like I see Tom uh, Tom's work showing up right here pretty strong, yes. is that some of us believe like you know, in Jesus, God just fixes the brokenness of the world. And so we can revert back to how it used to be in the good old days. And th- like, that's the end game. Yeah. But what you're helping us see in, uh, in a lot of ways, you know, Tom has a- yeah. also talked about, but you know, you take that from a different angle is the idea that the goal isn't to like to plumb, to go back, to fix the brokenness, but to see the creative process flowing through us yeah. to get to that new creation. So it's yeah. not about like getting to the old creation as I hit my microphone. It's not about getting to the old creation. It's about yes. being a part of the process of this new okay. creation. So our acts of love yeah. are participating in this, right? Right. Yeah, and and you know I, I I distinctly remember talking to Tom about this, and I you know I call it plumbing theology and uh, the theology of new creation, and I I was like, am I crazy? You know, to to use those terms because that seems to be what's happening in the church. We are mm-hmm. always preaching to give us new tools to fix the pipes, right? And we go to church and there's church programs every week for different tools. And you go home yes. and you fix your pipes, you practice that and you go back and say, hallelujah, I, I fixed the pipes. And they say, well, bring bring a neighbor because they need to fix their pipes. And so you do that and you bring in their neighbor and next week there's a new program, new tool, and you go, you, you keep doing this. But but very few times <laughs> we hear like, what? why are we doing this? Like what's going through mm-hmm. the pipes? You know what is the ultimate goal of fixing the pipes, and and uh, that that is what you know Tom writes. You know, resurrection work, right? This, this is there's, there's yeah. in post-resurrection reality of you know uh, the the cross, the suffering, and Easter and Pentecost and Ascension is only a beginning of our journey. Uh, we we treat that as the the end, right? Of, mm-hmm. of, of you said you know checklists of, of things that we receive to become a Christian. Fine, that's salvific particular grace. But then what, right? And yeah. is, is it just to fix the pipes and and tell your neighbor about it, or are we fixing the pipes? And and by the way, you know. Uh, all do you respect the plumbers, right? I, because they they do the hardest work, and and uh, one of the greatest joys that I gotten since I released the book was I heard from a third generation plumber, and he's he said to me that it was so gratifying that you addressed this because as a plumber. I am trying to be a kintsugi plumber. I'm trying to be uh, a plumber yeah. who not only fixes the pipes but take care of people. That's what I learned from my uh-huh. father and my grandfather. 
and and I I understand myself now in in this role and and how important that is for the kingdom and so forth. So I, I, that, that was the greatest comment. But um, you know, I I think this reality of new creation um, is is something that we rarely hear in a sermon. And um, you know, I'm an artist, so I, I am all about new creation. So I I thought I was a little bit off. The fringe, you know. So when I talked to Tom about this, and and he said, "Oh, I actually just wrote a whole chapter on that on Book of Resurrection." You know? yeah. <laughs> so okay, great. I'm not crazy, you know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's great. Uh, that's great. And so the idea is that we, in our creative process, in our creative work. Uh, we are participating in this new creation yeah. that God is inaugurated, that God has inaugurated in the resurrection of Jesus and one day will, when it is on earth as it is in heaven, be fulfilled. And so we're not having the the, the old idea that the only thing that lasts is uh, right. like people in the gospel or whatever. Uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Said so, about that. yeah so but, I, I heard a famous pastor say that, like the only thing that lasts yeah. is the word of God and people. And he was yeah. talking in a museum. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, First like, Corinthians fifteen would say the opposite of that. You know, like that right, there's exactly. things that last. Right. Yeah, that's right. And and our works will be tested, but yeah. you know, the, there's there's reality of our salvation, but also the work that we do as a believer on this side of eternity counts. And it seems right. This this is a very powerful mystery. It seems that God doesn't want to do anything until we act in faith. Right, so we create yeah. something in faith, and God says, "I'm going to multiply that. I'm not going to make the cre- new creation by myself, because right. I have risked everything to give you Jesus." Right. So mm-hmm. through Jesus' broken body and His presence, His tears, His presence in this world, you're going to create, and then I'm going to multiply that like fishes on the loaves. You know, like. That's going to yeah. be multiplied in new creation, but God seems to be waiting for us, <laughs> Christians yeah. especially, to be cognizant of this reality and our responsibility of stewardship, and and to provide that link to a dying world, and mm-hmm. and you know we when we step back and see our churches and how our churches and our witness have meant to the world, we're doing the opposite. <laughs> Of that. Yeah. We're withdrawing. We're, you know, we're not providing love, but providing polarity and hatred or culture wars, de- de- you know, demonizing the other side. We're, we're not providing peace. We seem to be rather anxious. So there's something wrong. You know, we didn't, we didn't like um, feed on the gospel, <laughs> you know, yeah. to, to, to fight culture wars as, as important as that may be, you know, in some cases. Uh, but but we we are not living out the gospel promise of new creation in us already. We are new creation, so it's not an argument. It's it's a reality. Yeah, and it empowers us because, as Paul says, your work in the Lord is not in vain. No. But somehow there are things that will stand the test of fire that are, are purified, and God That's says right. this yeah. is somehow what lasts into the age to come. And there is there's hope that what we're doing right now it matters. And uh, one of the uh, the, like dominant metaphors that you use in the book is of the uh, the w- which I've used this before multiple times, but I've never said it the word in front of someone who's actually an artist in Japanese. So I feel like I'm gonna again get this one wrong. Kintsugi, Kintsugi. how close am you I? Got it. Yeah, oh, you got it. You, 
again, it sounds better when you say it to me for some reason, but <laughs> this practice of like a broken, uh, especially yeah. like a, a teacup, yeah. and then the artist not only restores the cup back, but makes it exponentially better. Yeah. And so it's transcended its usefulness, yeah. and now it becomes something that e- even better. And so how... Do, First of all, I feel like a lot of preachers have used that metaphor, mm. um, but when you write about it, for some reason, it seems a little bit better. Uh, I guess you just know more well, about it's it. It's very deep. You know, Kintsugi uh, is a venerable part of the tea tradition and Japan lacquer tradition, which, which is notoriously difficult to learn. Um, Japan lacquer is made from poison sumac, so, you know, one third of the population is highly allergic to it, um, and it takes a particular kind of training to master it. Um, and, uh, you know, recently I, I talk about this in the book, but I, I befriended a young Kintsugi master who wanted to um, use this technique to bring healing into northern Japan where 3-11, March 11th, uh, disaster of earthquake and tsunami hit 10 years ago, exactly 10 years ago. Uh, and the work behind me uh, that you see uh, called Walking Water, uh, energy piece uh, in response to that. Um, but Kintsugi, uh, this Kintsugi master, um, found a way to create a new uh, lacquer based on cashew nuts, which dries in three hours rather than six months, and and try to teach the the victims' uh, families um, to do Kintsugi themselves on the broken things that were left behind when everything got washed away. And, and it's, it's a very deep uh, aesthetic and practice, um, but it's very easy uh, the way that, you know, he has taught it uh, to learn. So I, we started a thing called Kintsugi Academy where um, we, uh, you know, meet in small groups and hopefully after the pandemic we can restart that process. But it, it's, it's deep because... You know, it's one thing to talk about it like this, but it's another way, another thing to practice it, right? Our hands, Mm -hmm. when we are mending something, and as you noted, the Kintsugi master doesn't hide the fractures. Uh, In fact, he or she will highlight the fractures and, um, and, Master Nakamura, who I befriended, uh, spends most of his time not even mending the fractures. He is looking at the the cracks and looking at the uh, broken pieces and beholding them as if they are complete in itself. He said, this is the job of a Kintsugi master is to behold the fragments until it is beautiful and it is complete. And then you can start the Kintsugi process because you can honor that sense of sacredness in, in built into the cracks, in the sharp edges. I mean, that's amazing, you know, uh, gospel yeah, reality right there. Because you know? I think, let's, let's hide the cracks, let's yeah. make it as good as we can right. to like move past that. Like even as I think about my own soul, like yeah. there's, there's cracks in there, and I'm going, yeah. well, let's, let's cover them up, let's pretend they're not yes. there. But to stop and go there's beauty in yeah. the brokenness right there. And that's the first step before yeah. we can move forward. Wow. I know. I know. Right. And, and, and he's not even a Christian. Right. So, so a friend of mine who is a pastor and I uh, listening to him talk about this and we're like, Oh my goodness. You know, what if wow. our churches became like that? You know, like, like wow. you, somebody comes in completely broken, shattered. And instead of like saying, Oh, we have a program for you. We say, welcome because, we need your peace. You know, we, we, we need like, to behold you as you are, as broken as you are, shattered as you are, 
uh, we, we want to sit together until all of us find you to be beautiful, complete in Christ. And then let's talk about the next steps. You know, I mean, what kind of church would we have wow. if we did that with each other? You know, and, uh, and if you're a pastor, you, you're going to have an extra burden to be perfect, right? And, and to look perfect. And what if it was reverse? You know, that, that you were the leader in, in, in um, mending, but also revealing the brokenness, the vulnerable realities that you, you've been through and you are going through. Um, you know, so, so this, this thing has multiple refractive points that, you know, that is, it is so deep that, that that's why it, 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 the simple metaphor is just an entry point. Yeah, I feel like uh, that right there is worth the price of the podcast. Just that, <laughs> I mean, I'm gonna I'm gonna be thinking about that for now. I'm gonna be yeah. honest. Uh, since I read your book, the uh, the the plumbing gospel, yeah. like this is what's gonna fix you and go out and fix yeah. it. Like that's been that like that's haunted me as I've been writing sermons. Like, okay, am I just? And now this is gonna haunt me even more. Just like the idea of you're complete in Christ in your brokenness right now. Let's not try to fix this, right. but let's just acknowledge first of all who you are, your identity as a whole person yes. in Christ right now. Yeah, we can talk about the next steps after that, but yeah. before we, we we think about that, it's right now you're complete. Wow. Yeah, that's, because that's how God sees that's it. That's a lot. In our brokenness, yeah. right? We, we feel shattered. We feel incomplete, uh, needy. Um, yeah. But God doesn't see that. God, God sees us complete in Christ. We are a new creation in Christ. You know, mm-hmm. we're, we're that new newness I talk about in the book um, that, yeah. that is completely... How you know our DNA, you know, is 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 being formed in in a new way. So uh, so even the fragments, even the pieces, are yeah. part of that, right? So so it is new creation, and unless we can see that in a homeless person coming in, or you know, CEO of a company coming in, you know, whatever is happening in that person's life. Um, the, you know that then we, we're not we're not with God. You know, <laughs> like, like yeah. we, we, we want to fix. You know, I want to fix me. I want to fix you. Uh, we're gonna be perfect together. We're gonna look good. You know, yeah, yeah. But that often produces the opposite effect of us not being able to reach that. You know, uh, sacred. Uh, reality of sacred communities certainly um, it, it it creates um, pressure to be perfect, um, yeah. and 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 our children notice, you know. By the way, <laughs> they're the first to. <laughs> yeah, well, that's what I was first thinking of. Is like, what does it mean to be a parent yeah. who sees the like the imperfections, the brokenness, and and yeah. your children are, are adults. Right. Mine, mine are still little, yeah. and I'm going. I, I want to like help you get over the struggle. Help you. Um, uh, you know, curtail the effect that this could have on, you know, whatever experience of your life, instead of going, this is who you are, broken and beautiful and complete in Christ right yeah. now. Yeah. And we can talk about what the next steps are, but right. the steps don't take place until this first one right. is realized. Right. I, I had a, a friend in Dallas who I, I was telling him about Kintsugi, and about halfway he he said, Oh no, you know, and and I was like, well, well what's happening? And he said, you know, I just realized, you know, my daughter um, was cleaning the garage, and we had these uh, ceramics from a grandmother, and she dropped one, 
And I decided to turn it into object, but you know, object lesson. And I, I said, you know, you're more important than this. And then threw threw away the pieces. You know. <laughs> but isn't that part of it? Like, it's it, it it's not practical. It's yeah, easier right, just to throw right. it away. So, but can like that's right, I'm gonna. Right. And and I it's said, like the slow art you do. Yeah, yeah, so Glenn, you know, imagine, right. If you can use that experience of, you know, maybe not understanding Kintsugi and beholding the fragments and keeping the shards and all that, you know, someday she's going to come to you with, you know, her vulnerable state, uh, broken state. And if you can look at her, you know, in, in, in the, now that you understand Kintsugi, in a way that a Kintsugi master looks at the brokenness, right? That that's the key uh, of, of parenting, I think. It, 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 yeah. it, oh, wow. You know, if we can say, you know, not only you came to me with this um, and and shared, you know, your brokenness with me, um, you know, th- this is a genesis moment. This is this is a new, fresh way that we can relate to each other, that, that, that this, is, this is giving us an opportunity, actually, to be together in this brokenness, right? And, and, and that kind of attitude shift, no, and, you know, you don't, you don't even have to say that. It's, it's just mm-hmm. how you behold her or him and, and be able to say, you know, to yourself, perhaps, uh, you know, if not with with this person, you, you know, just say, "I'm so grateful," <laughs> you know, uh-huh. because we got to do this. We got to journey into this brokenness, and the promise is there, right? That Kintsugi Master, yeah. the real Kintsugi Master, is not only going to create new creation out of these fragments, um, but that I get to be part of it, you know, as a father. That, wow. that that just changes the entire way that we see our children. Yeah. And, and that's like, it's not like making a painting no. in that moment, but you were, you were giving a gift. You were, yeah. you were making out of love a moment, a memory, a special gift yeah. to give to the world that happens yeah. to be the recipient, the, the unique recipient happens to be your, your own child. But yeah. still like that's, and, like, it is, and it's actually it overlaps with painting. Right, the, these p- paintings behind me are uh, done with pulverized minerals. Right, so this is azurite that Japanese artisan will pulverize by hand and prepare for me, uh, artist, uh, knowing the particular prismatic refractive layers that I want to create, and 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 so the pigments, these beautiful rocks, have to be broken to, into yeah. shards. Uh, for me to be able to paint and create something out of them. Mm-hmm. And, and so it, it's giving away, you know, prismatic shards into the world, right? And, and wow. that brokenness uh, to me is very, not only symbolic, but reality check mm-hmm. for me to be able to give away in love everything that I create, everything that I you know, I, I have influ- influence over so, because that's what God has done for me, you know, and wow. and uh, uh, everything that I've been given is by grace of God. So um, my my job is is to do that beautifully, but 
do it honestly um, and give these prismatic, beautiful things away, you know, broken yeah. things. Yeah. And, and there's some connection there. You, you talk about in the book that the, uh, the style of, of the, the Japanese style of painting that you do can't really be taught outside yeah. of Japan because there is like this ecosystem of yeah. trust from uh, the papermaker yeah. to the brush artisans. The whole, the whole ecosystem is – it's required to create the end result. Yeah. It's not like I can just step outside of this. But in some ways, like that's like the world that we live in. We all have a little gift that we can give, uh, something we can create. Yeah. And when we all are playing our part, like there's this beautiful you know, tapestry that can be created, mm-hmm. but mm-hmm. we all are dependent upon each other. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. And um, I was listening to Malcolm Gladwell uh, talk at at the beginning of pandemic, actually, he astutely noted already a shift taking place in culture from what he calls strong links society to weak links society. And, you know, he compares them to like basketball is strong link economy (laughs) because, you know, if you have LeBron James, uh, not today, but (laughs) if you have LeBron James, you can... (laughs) win most of the games, you know, but, but soccer, yeah, soccer, yeah. soccer is the weak links, uh, yeah. because if you, you know, if you have one bad, uh, fullback or, or goalkeeper, <laughs> or so, you know, it doesn't yeah. matter who's, who's, who's a striker. Right. So, uh, exactly. you know, that, uh, so now Amazon workers and nurses and mothers and teachers are the frontline essential workers. And, and they're the most important weak link, you know, reality in this culture and and i think that's part of the polarization that we're going through in this pandemic and and one opportunity that we have actually is is for the church to be, which should be weak links society yeah. um, community community um that that can take the lead in bringing compassion and beauty and mercy into the world uh, in a way that yeah. tom right discusses as the uh, you know bringing in ushering in the new kingdom yeah, amen to that. Uh, Mark, this has been absolutely fascinating. Uh, there's a lot of words I feel like I mispronounced. Um, I will definitely clearly say that your background, uh, like of all the hundreds of podcasts I've done, your background is undoubtedly the best background. I mean, you have some beautiful pieces right behind you. Yeah. Uh, like a lot of people go with like, hey, I have a bunch of books behind me. The li-. Like you have like this beautiful studio behind you. I wish my, my listeners could see that yeah. as part of this conversation. But I am uh, deeply honored uh, that you shared this time with me. Okay. Uh, the book is a beautiful gift that you've given to the world. I encourage mm-hmm. all my listeners to get a copy of it. Um, but let me just say thank you so much uh, for the time and thanks for doing this. Thank you. And I look forward to a continued conversation. <laughs> don't, don't, don't offer me because I will definitely, I, I will show up at your door in New Jersey and keep on talking because this has been fascinating. So thank you, uh, thank you so much. This has been great. Yeah. Okay. Yes, sir. Thanks for checking out Newsworthy with Norsworthy. Make sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes. You are now adjourned.